Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll hear lawmakers react as Governor Phil Bryant makes another round of budget cuts. Plus, what one Mississippi researcher says about keeping guns out of the hands of the mentally ill. So it's not just anybody who's struggling can't have a gun, but folks in a particularly vulnerable moment who are not managing their own affairs, that might not be the moment to go get a gun. And we talked to the head of MDOT on the state's overwhelming infrastructure needs. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Phil Bryant is making another round of mid-year budget cuts. He's ordering state agencies to cut $43 million and taking another $7 million from the state's rainy day fund. This makes the third cut since last July. Bryant, a Republican, says tax revenues are continuing to fall short of projections. Legislators say they're disappointed with the cuts, but acknowledge the governor has to balance the state budget. But they disagree on why the revenue is falling short in the first place. MPB's Desiree Frazier spoke with several lawmakers on the subject. First, Senator Gray Tollison, a Republican from Oxford. It's unfortunate uh, that that had to occur, but he has to do that by law. Um, you know, our economy is just not growing at a pace we would like to see. I mean, it's, it's growing, but just not at a, a faster clip that we're bringing in revenues uh, that would help us, as we expected. Remember, we're basing this on an estimate we made a year ago. Uh, these are not actual year-over-year. Year. There is a year-over-year year increase, I believe, but in terms of we're not meeting the estimates we made a year ago. What does it mean for state agencies in the midst of trying to determine next year's budget? Well, I think they need to be very conservative with their spending going forward. Um, you know, it doesn't. I, I don't. I certainly can't predict the future, but I think they certainly it would be wise for all our state agencies to. Uh, make sure that they hold back a certain percentage um, because if this continues into the next fiscal year, they will be prepared for it. Appropriations has talked about um, keeping uh, the budget at 98% and keeping 2% out. Do you think that's going to work? Well, I hope so. I mean, that's what the law is. We suspend that law. We've been suspending that for the past 10 or so years. Uh, so that we only have to, we can only spend 98 cents of every dollar that we bring in in revenue, and the, that two percent goes in. Part of it goes into the rainy day fund. So we need to replenish the rainy day fund, and uh, in, in, in anticipation of a, a, re, a, a recession when our revenues fall even shorter. So um, I, I think we need to be cautious with that, and um, if, if we can maintain that 98 percent, I think we should. Democrats have been very critical of the business cuts that have been made over the past four to five years, um, saying that that is why the state is in this deficit. Your reaction to that? Well, I disagree with that. I mean, I think we're trying to stimulate economy and bringing in jobs, and we are. I mean, in my county, actually last year, we, uh, Lafayette County brought in 860 jobs. That was the fifth largest in the state. So in my county, things are going well. Uh, we have a lot of growth, but we're also bringing in industry. Small companies are locating around the state, and uh, obviously we have the bigger industries like Continental, but also industries that existing industries are adding jobs. So we're trying to make it uh, as a, a, an attractive place for businesses to, to either expand or to uh, locate. 
Republican Senator Gray Tolleson. Senator Hob Bryan, a Democrat from Amory, says revenue shortfalls should be expected since the state has offered millions in incentives to businesses to locate in Mississippi. For years and years and years, the legislature has been handing out tax cuts and tax credits. The uh, Department of Revenue said we have no way of calculating how much these tax credits are going to cost. And so finally, the chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, The legislature has voted to give money out of the state treasury to people who are putting shopping centers in South Madison County. They voted to give money to Walmart to reimburse them for the property taxes they're paying. They even voted to cut taxes on whiskey. And eventually it's all coming home. The the tax cuts that you're, I mean, the budget cuts that you're seeing now were caused by the policies adopted by the legislature over the past five or six years. Do you anticipate that this outlook is going to change anytime soon? Well, the reaction of the legislature is to pass billions and billions of dollars of additional tax cuts that have not even gone into effect yet. So unless the legislative leadership starts stops digging this hole that, that they've gotten us into, it's just going to get worse and worse in future years. What do you say to state agency leaders who are trying to grapple with where they're going to make these cuts? I feel your pain, but I voted against giving away the billions and billions and billions of dollars out of the state treasury. Sorry, but what, what does anyone expect? So as you go through this process for this legislative session of coming up with another budget, what's it looking like for 2018? Well, as you know, the the way the budget system works here is uh, the legislature passes meaningless bills. They're all placed into a conference committee, and the speaker and the lieutenant governor decide what to do at the end of the session. So as long as legislators keep voting for that system, we'll, we'll have whatever budget the speaker and the lieutenant governor instruct us to pass. Democratic Senator Hob Bryan. This is the first budget experience for Representative Abe Hudson. The Democrat representing part of the Delta says it's important for the state to raise the money it needs to provide necessary services. Continually concerned about the budget cuts. Uh, This is my first year as a legislator. Uh, Before I got here, I would read about all the cuts that uh, were possibly coming and now to be a part of it. uh, It's quite concerning. Uh, I know uh, as an entrepreneur and a business owner that you have to figure out and make sure that your expenses, uh, your income exceeds your expenses. And unfortunately, that's not the case here in our state. And so I'm optimistic that over the next couple of years, we won't be in the same kind of situation. I'm hopeful and optimistic that we'll begin to look for other ways to generate revenue and income so that we won't have to continue to do this. Uh, I think it's exhausting to uh, the legislators, but more importantly to our constituents uh, and the people who are growing up in this state. Uh, I know that two of our biggest priorities are education uh, and transportation, and it's hard to begin those conversations if we don't have the money uh, to begin to, to, to fix those things or to, to make corrections. What do you say to state leaders who feel like, geez, I cut all I can cut, where do I go now? We have to think outside the box and find other areas to bring money into the state. Uh, I think, unfortunately, we have uh, had an inside-of-the-box way of thinking, and I'm very limited uh, in the comments that I can make, again, because this is my very first year. But I do believe that we have to figure out some other...
other ways uh, to generate income. Uh, there are a couple of possibilities out there, and I'm optimistic about, you know, over the next couple of years, me being here, that we can begin that conversation. In terms of being a welcoming state, do you think that Mississippi is really drawing enough businesses and diversity to begin to increase the economic development at a brisk pace, even with the tax cuts? I do think that we are a, a, a business-friendly state. Uh, however, uh, I don't believe that uh, our business uh, friendliness or kindness uh, has uh, encouraged enough growth uh, that hits our bottom line in a way that we're able to do more than what we need to. Uh, but right now, we really need to do some things from an educational and infrastructure perspective. And uh, right now, we're just not generating the kind of money, uh, even with us being a business-friendly state. So I think some other things that we have to look at. I'm really excited about the outlook. I'm here because I want to make a difference. I want to begin to ask the right questions and work with folks so we can make those, de- make those changes. Democratic Representative Abe Hudson. Before that, we heard from Senator Hob Bryan and Senator Gray Tollison. Find out what one Mississippi researcher says about keeping guns out of the hands of the mentally ill. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Join me each Thursday for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. Each week we talk with you about the health issues that are facing your children. From acne to concussions to diaper rashes and tonsils. From potty training to allergies to braces and everything in between. It's Mississippi's free weekly pediatric clinic on the radio. Listen to any of our episodes on demand through the MPB Public Radio app and online at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, tomorrow morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A Mississippi researcher is speaking out against legislation that could put guns back into the hands of some mentally ill people. Republican Senators Thad Cochran and Roger Wicker both voted to overturn an Obama-era gun regulation. The rule prohibits some mentally ill recipients of federal benefits from purchasing firearms. University of Southern Mississippi professor Michael Anestis says overturning the rule is dangerous. The regulation that was in place was there to keep folks who have been diagnosed with a range of mental illnesses and who are getting benefits and relying on someone else to manage their affairs. It makes it more difficult for them to get a gun by entering information on those folks into the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, the NICS system, um, so that if they were to buy a gun, the person selling the gun sort of instantly gets that information Um, which may, depending on where they are or who's selling the gun, limit the likelihood that they're going to get a gun in that particularly vulnerable moment. Who is specifically affected by the regulation or who was? Again, there's a pretty long list. I don't have the statute open in front of me, but folks with a range of diagnoses, mostly mental illnesses, whether it's depression or a personality disorder or an anxiety disorder, but not just that diagnosis. It's folks getting benefits. So it's it's the Social Security Administration sending this information in. So it's folks getting benefits from them and who are dependent on others to manage their affairs. So I don't know who has a mental illness, everybody who has a mental illness, but you're saying it's specifically through the Social Security Administration? Yeah. So it's not just anybody who's struggling can't have a gun, but folks in a particularly vulnerable moment who are not managing their own affairs 
that might not be the moment to go get a gun. You've done a lot of research on this, and you talk. It seems your concern is about suicide, that people with mental illness are more apt to use a gun to kill themselves than others. Is that correct? Is that a fair assessment? Guns are only used in about 5% of all suicide attempts, but they account for more than half of the, attempt, of the deaths in almost every year. They're almost always lethal. So it's not that folks with a mental illness are more likely to use a gun than someone without a mental illness. But folks with mental illness are more likely to attempt suicide than folks without mental illness. And, and anybody uh, who attempts suicide is more likely to die if they use a gun than if they use any other method. If someone uh, who is mentally ill has a gun, are they more likely to use that gun on someone else? The data on that, to be perfectly honest with you, I- I'm less certain about, but my understanding is no. Folks with mental illness are much more likely to be victims of crimes than to commit a crime. You see a lot, I think that we all get caught up on news stories that are understandably tragic and overwhelming, but I don't think that those reflect the reality. But the, the biggest reality is that the vast majority of gun deaths are suicides. So we always talk about homicide when we talk about background checks or guns, but this isn't as much about that. It's about suicide. It's folks who are dying with self-inflicted gunshot wounds and folks Some, who are really vulnerable. Someone arguing your point would say if someone wants to kill themselves bad enough, they'll find a way to kill themselves whether they have a gun or not. Yeah, and I hear that all the time, and I, and I get that. That's a very reasonable concern. The issue is that it's so reasonable that people studied it over and over again, and that's, that's not what happened. And even if we overlooked all that studying, the fact is whatever method you choose besides a gun is almost certain to be less likely to be lethal. And 90% of folks who survive a suicide attempt never attempt again. So if you stop someone from using a highly lethal method, there's a very good chance you keep them alive, that they never die by suicide. Why do opponents uh, want this regulation to end? I mean, you often hear the phrase slippery slope. Is that what it's about? You know, on the one hand, slippery slope defends sort of freedom of gun ownership, but background checks really are not a threat to the Second Amendment. But they're also pitching it as, we want to reduce stigma. We don't want people with mental illnesses to be denied rights. And, and as a clinical psychologist, I can certainly get behind that. But I mostly don't want folks with mental illness to die. I don't want to make it easier for them to die by suicide. And, and guns don't make people suicidal, but they make suicidal people much more likely to die. Do you have any data that would show that states with stronger gun regulations have a lesser occurrence of suicide among the mentally ill? Yes, well, among the population in general, we do. And, and folks with mental illness are, make up a disproportionate amount of suicide deaths. But yeah, we have studies we published in the past couple of years in the American Journal of Public Health showing that background checks in particular have been associated with lower suicide rates and not just firearm suicide rates. We're not interested in changing how they die by suicide. We're interested in stopping them from dying by suicide. And that's what that data shows. And we actually just had a paper come out in that same journal now that showed that states that have background check laws in place, universal background checks, on average, saw a decrease in their suicide rate from 2013 to 2014, whereas those without it saw it go up. And that's even more accounting for things like gun ownership. So you don't have an experimental study showing this definitively causes this, but you have a mountain of evidence that is difficult to argue against that shows this this seems to play an important role in keeping people alive. Knowing what you do about the subject, you have any way of knowing with the regulation overturned, how that would increase suicide rates? It's likely to do exactly that. I, can I give you a specific number? No. Um, and I certainly don't think that's the intention of the folks who repealed the laws. I think that, as is always the case, they weren't thinking about suicide when they thought about the law. But the fact is, if it's easier for folks 
who are thinking about suicide to get a gun, then more of them will. And if more suicidal folks get guns, more suicidal folks will die. Separate Um, from the regulation, what can be done to affect the suicide rate among the mentally ill? Yeah, and I think the solution for that is similar to the population in general. Unfortunately, it doesn't threaten gun rights at all, and it shouldn't be a threat to gun culture. Um, The idea is to have safe storage. Uh, you know, a strong gun owner is a safe gun owner. You store your gun unloaded, separate from ammunition. You store it locked, either with a trigger lock or in a gun safe, not in your bedside table. And I think the most important one is if you're feeling distressed, let someone else keep your gun for you on your own terms until you're feeling better. Just like we let someone hold your, our keys if we've had a little bit to drink. It, you get your product back. You get your thing back. It's not a threat to who you are, but that might not be the moment to have that thing. It puts you yourself at danger. Um, I think if, if everybody can commit to that idea of keeping people safe, that's going to have as much traction as the regulations. But that's not the mentality in place right now. Dr. Michael Anestis is a professor of psychology at the University of Southern Mississippi. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. The U.S. House and Senate have both passed a joint resolution dis- disapproving of the restriction. President Donald Trump is expected to sign it. In a statement, Senator Roger Wicker says he does believe in keeping guns out of the hands of those who would harm themselves or others. But he says this rule, quote, goes far beyond any arguably reasonable regulations on gun ownership. Coming up next, we talk to the head of MDOT on the state's overwhelming infrastructure needs. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The 2017 Governor's Arts Awards come to MPB TV Thursday night at 7 p.m. This annual ceremony celebrates the state's artistic and cultural heritage. The Mississippi Opera, Vastai Jackson, and Allman Brothers bandmate Jay Moe are among six Mississippians honored for their artistic contributions. Catch the celebration Thursday night at 7 p.m. on MPB TV. Wisconsin used to be reliably Democratic in presidential elections, part of the Blue Wall. Then came 2016. We didn't break it. We shattered that sucker. Thanks in part to a new voter, the Trump Democrat. You didn't make me up. No. We exist. We're out there. You just got to dig a little deeper, probably. Wisconsin's Shifting Voters. That's this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on NPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As the legislative session pushes forward, a comprehensive plan to address the state's crumbling infrastructure seems less and less likely. That's troublesome news to Melinda McGrath. She's executive director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation. MPB's Desiree Frazier caught up with McGrath at the state capitol. The biggest concern is public safety. Um, You know, uh, that is our number one mission is public safety. And um, so... So there's two components, really, as far as the as as the state highway system goes. You have re, uh, bridges, and then you have the the roadways themselves. So um, you know, there's been lots and lots of discussion about bridges that are uh, that are posted that they can't any longer hold the legal weight. Um, and so what um, what happens is many of these bridges were actually built back in the 1930s and 40s and they're made out of timber 
So the piling going into the ground are creosote. And what people don't realize, I, I think, is that creosote, even though we've always heard it lasts forever, it absolutely does not. And the entire bridge is built out of creosote members. So the deck, the caps that hold the deck, and all of that is rotting. And so that's why those bridges are, are, are posted. Well, this state is a huge agricultural state, whether it's corn, corn, soybeans, or timber. And so what, um, what happens is, is these truckers are trying to make a living. So they're having to com- compete with our neighbors in Louisiana, Mississippi. And so they're trying to haul as much as they possibly can. And so sometimes maybe they get confused and they don't realize they're going over a posted bridge. And, um, and so every time a truck goes over that bridge that, that is heavier than what that bridge can hold, you're, you're, you're cracking the beam. And at some point, those bridges are going to fail. Now, the department, we go out and we, uh, we inspect every structure at least every two years if um if it's a bridge that's 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 posted or that we've uh, uh made repairs on to where we can can up up the limit back those can get inspected as often as weekly and and if we see there's a problem we're going to immediately uh uh either close the road post the bridge down and put law enforcement to ensure that those trucks stop using that route lack of funding, uh, you are struggling to keep up with repairing roads and bridges. Tell us, how are you going to manage? I know that there is talk of an eight-year plan, but you need funding for it. Correct. So um, what the department put out last week is we put out a plan of, 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 of projects that will not be done in the next 10 years without additional funding. We, um, we also have a five-year plan and, um, and what that five-year plan shows are all the projects that will be done in the next five years. So, um, so those projects are based off of level funding like we have now. But the problem is, as you pointed out, is there's so many more needs than we have funding for. So the best we can do is we take our, our uh, um, prioritized list, whether it's pavements or bridges, that, that's basically... Worst first, and those are what gets put into the five-year plan. Other roads, bridges, they just go undone. And, you know, I don't think people realize the safety issue with a road that is not properly main- maintained. What, what happens is, is, is uh, you get ruts in the wheel path, and this state gets a lot of rain. Those ruts fill up with water. People do not slow down, and they end up going into the trees. Our number one... Uh, um, cause of crashes in the state uh, that cause severe in- injuries are run off the road, and and so it's so it's equally important that we have enough money to do our pavements as as for our structures. There is not going to be likely an increase this year because of the um, tight constraints on the budget. How do you feel about that? From a safety point of view, it's uh, it's. A sobering because uh, you know we know that there's many things that will not be um, be able to get done, and then you compound that with 
there are not enough um, MHP troopers out on the road to slow the vehicles down or to ensure that people aren't texting and driving. Um, you know, I think I, I think that that is a formula for disaster. And, um, and I do think that it not only impacts the safety of our taxpayers that are traveling, but it also limits our ability to attract manufacturing and um, economic development. Every economic developer that I've met with, the first thing they want to know is how how can we get our our raw materials to our factory and our finished goods out out back to where they're supposed to go in a fast, timely manner. And um, you know, and and then they want to know we want to see how you're maintaining your roads because they want to know that once they do come in to to, to the state, that you will maintain those roadways that they are dependent on. Thanks for listening today. I hope you'll join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue.